Welcome to the ALSC Podcast. Here at ALSC, we seek the lost, teach the found, and send the disciples. We truly hope you are encouraged by this week's message. If you're new to ALFC, my name is Joel, and I'm one of the board members here at the church, and I'm especially grateful to be here tonight as we open up the Word and jump into a Bible study, but I'm going to warn you up front, because the Word of God serves different functions. It's there to inspire us and give us hope. It's there to give us promises so we know what God's design is. But one of the things the Word of God does for our good is it makes us aware of issues we got going on that we don't even know we got going on. And if we've got the right heart and the right mind, we're grateful for that. I had a friend and he got a new job and he had to get a health uh, physical for the job. It was standard routine, but in that physical, they discovered an incredibly serious illness. And it jarred him, but he was also incredibly grateful that because they found out what was wrong with him, he was able to get healed from it. If he hadn't had that physical, he would have never been aware or aware far too late. So we're going to open up the Word of God, but tonight I think God maybe wants to jar a few of us. And I hope you're open to it and ready for it, because in it comes full and complete healing and full and complete victory. Because I was studying this passage it confronted me, and I've been at this for about 50 years. So if it confronted me and jarred me, it might jar you. Open your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at a passage, but we're also going to look at a book so you can discover how you do study the Bible. Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. Here's Paul speaking to the church, and he's predominantly speaking to Christians. And I think tonight, most of us in here are Christians, so we are his audience. Once you were you who were alienated from God, you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. But now he has reconciled you through the death of Christ in his physical body in order to present you holy and blameless in God's sight as you stand before God without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth. Stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the hope you received when you heard the gospel. This good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. When you write an email, there's a purpose why you're writing that email. There's a person you're writing that email to, and it helps somebody understand the content of that email. So when we look at a passage like this, we got to ask the question, well, what's going on? Here's Paul. He's been in ministry for many years. He travels a lot, and he finally settles down in a city called Ephesus. It's a big city. There's this big hall called Hall of Tyrannus, and for two years he preaches the gospel there. And lots of people come to hear him, and a lot of people get saved. And one of the guys who gets saved is this young guy named Epaphras, and he is full of energy. And he's like immediately mature. And he goes to this town about 100 miles away named Colossae, and he plants a church there. And it's full of vibrant, young Christians who are really excited about all that Christianity has to offer them. The church there is like us. They're worshiping God. They don't want to miss out on anything from God. When you read through the letter, you see that they want the fullness of God. They want all of God. They want all there is out of this Christian life. They don't want to miss anything. They want the power of God. They're tired of failing. 
They want to walk in an authority and a victory. They don't ever want to be overpowered by the enemy evermore. They're like us. We don't want the enemy to have any kind of influence over us. We want to walk in this power. They wanted holiness. They desired to do what was good and right and not have to struggle. They wanted to be good. So they have all these fantastic characteristics. And Paul commends their faith. He commends their passion. So why does he write, don't drift away from the hope? You received when you heard the gospel. What does Paul know about these vibrant, wonderful Christians about us? That he's saying, guys, you got to be aware of this, this mysterious drift. I used to live in Huntington Beach, and so my niece and I went out surfing on one surfboard because of my little youngest niece, who was about seven years old. We decided we'd take her out. And we weren't aware of the currents. And we're out there, and all of a sudden, before you knew it, we had drifted far away. And my niece and I kind of looked at each other and knew, uh-oh, well, this is serious. We didn't tell the younger girl. We just kind of put her on the surfboard, and we just kind of put our heads down and went, we got to get back into shore. Drifts don't happen abruptly. But they happen in a way where you are unaware of them. And that's where the Word of God can kind of jar us because some of us tonight are in a drift and it's the most subtle, but it is the most dangerous and we're not even aware of it. That's why Paul would say in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, in this letter, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the spiritual ideals of this world rather than on Christ. What is this drift? Here's what it's not. It is not backsliding. Oftentimes we put in two categories. I'm a Christian and I'm vibrant and I'm going with Jesus or I'm backsliding. And backsliding is defined by I have rejected God. I'm doing my own thing. I quit going to church. That may be real for some people, but that's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking to good Christians who want all of God and he talks about this drift. And the drift is not backsliding. Here's what the drift is. When you became a Christian, you got saved by Jesus Christ and Christ alone. He is your full source of life. And then as you want all of Christianity, you slowly drift and you begin to add things to Jesus. You don't reject him. You don't deny him. You just add things. Because you think somehow Jesus must not be enough so i got to add some stuff to get everything there is for me to get. This is what was happening on in the church 2,000 years ago, and it's happening today. What are they adding? What are we adding? Christian practices. If I just read my Bible and if I pray, then I'll get what I'm supposed to get. And even though reading your Bible and praying is really important, if the spirit by which we are doing it is wrong, we are actually adding it to Jesus rather than finding that's the way into Jesus. Are your Christian practices an end to themselves? Where you go, wow, if I didn't read my Bible and pray today, I better not expect something. I had a friend, and every morning he was so devout in his devotions, 
And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit kind of woke him up to the fact that he had begun to add his devotions to the point that if he didn't do his devotions in the morning, he was riddled with guilt. And he had this conviction, wow, if I didn't do that, bad things are going to happen. God's not going to help me. I'm not going to have the presence of God. Good stuff, but done in the wrong way. And he had to make this intentional decision. I'm going to do my devotions in the afternoon. Because I do not want them to be something I add to Jesus and who he is. I want them to be something that brings me into the presence of Jesus and who he is. Do you know what we add to Jesus? Personal significance. He saved me. He gives me life. But I got to do something with my life that really stands out. That matters. That makes a difference. And here's the challenging part. God's got a call for you. He has a purpose for you. He has a good destiny for you. But our work is our worship to Jesus. It is not something we add to Jesus as a way of going, now I really have life. Now I really have meeting. Paul saw in this church really vibrant Christians, but there was a danger. The danger was you could begin to drift. Not denying Christ but not seeing Christ as your sole, supreme, sufficient source of life and needing to add things to that. What happens when you drift? He writes about in Colossians 2.19. Here's what he says. They actually lose connection with the head Christ, from whom the whole body supported and held together grows as God causes it to grow. If you begin to find yourself adding to Jesus then what happens is you diminish Jesus. He's no longer the sole source. It's Jesus and my religious practices. It's Jesus and the significant things I do. It's Jesus and the good stuff I have in life. The combination is what brings me happiness and joy and purpose. And you diminish Jesus in that way. And what happens, and you see this sometimes, and it's an indicator if you're in the drift you get depressed. You just get frustrated and depressed because you get to a place where you're going, Jesus doesn't seem to be enough. I want more. But when you add stuff, it doesn't work. You add that significance. You add the money. You're really devout. You know, it's what, January, whatever, and for 10 days you've been doing your devotions every day and nothing's changed. Because whenever you add to Jesus, you're not actually drawing closer to everything you have in Christ. You're drifting away from that. Doubts rise up where you spend much of your time, rather than celebrating your identity in God, you're constantly questioning your status before him. Where do I rank? How does he see me? Does he still love me? Am I still good with him? And when you have a week or two, when what you've added falls apart, then you're going, wow, I must not rank any good. What more can I do now to get it back? And you're adding to Jesus, you drift. Picture the drift. You lose your way. You're kind of out there in a big ocean and you feel lost. And here are these really, really wonderful Christians passionate about everything the kingdom has to offer them. And Paul says, that's 
Amazing. But be careful. That in your passion for the kingdom, you don't suddenly begin to be influenced by the enemy who has you add things to Jesus rather than see those things as the source of getting closer to Jesus. So how do you stop that drift? If you're going, wow, Joel, I can see a little bit of that in my life. Really, this verse messed me up this week because I saw it in my life. How do I stop this? This is what this passage is about. In verses 21 and 22 and 23, he basically says, you got to know who you were before Christ. you got to know who you are, and then you got to know how to live in that identity. And if you know who you were, and you know who you are, and you know how to live, then you are protected from that drift ever taking place. And the fullness of Jesus alone draws you into the kingdom of God. First, who were you before Christ? Look at verse 21 again. Once you were alienated from God, you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Can we be honest? Isn't that a little harsh? It just seems a little harsh. Evil thoughts and actions, an enemy of God. I got a neighbor, Edwin. He's a nice guy. He's not a Christian from what I know. But he's a good man. He respects my faith. He respects the church. He treats his family well. He's a married man. He's got, he seems like a good guy. If I went up to Edwin and said, Edwin, do you know what? You are evil. You are an enemy of God. He'd freak out. And he'd go, what? Because we don't quite understand what Paul is saying here when he talks about evil. The Bible talks about two dimensions of evil. There is a moral evil. That is when your behavior is against God's nature. You cheat, you steal, you are cruel, you're a racist, you murder. You're bad, bad stuff. You're just a nasty person. And you treat people with disrespect and you're greedy and all that kind of stuff. And those are evil people. We put them in this category right here. Just nasty people. They're in prison because of the stuff that they've done. And we go, well, that's not me. And for many of us, even before we met Christ, it wasn't us. We weren't nasty, bad people. Some of you it was. <laughs> and you know who you are. And you're actually, we'll see in a moment, kind of protected more from the drift because you know how much Jesus has done in your life. But there's a spiritual evil. And a spiritual evil is when you may not be morally that evil, but you are an enemy of God because you are battling over the lordship of your life. I want to be in control of my life, so I may not have these bad characteristics, but it's still me as God over my life. And Paul says, that makes you spiritually evil. You're not, my neighbor's not an enemy of Joel. He treats me with respect. He's an enemy of God because of this battle over the lordship. And you drift when you don't know how dire your state was before you met Christ. Because here's my story, maybe some of your stories. Let's put evil people over here, moral evil. They're just nasty people. We'll put Hitler in here. Some of you would put different politicians in here. You know, just bad, bad people, right? And you know who they are and they're nasty. And then you've got on this side of the platform the holiness of God. His purity, his beauty, intimacy with God. And there's this separation. 
Now, when you're morally evil and Jesus comes to you and he saves you and your life gets radically transformed and you come into the presence of God, you know what you were and what you have become. It's like, ha, oh, thank the Lord Almighty. But if you're like me and you're not that, you're not way over here. You're kind of right here. I didn't steal. I didn't cheat. I respected people. I was de definitely a good person. I kind of knew I didn't quite fully know God. So when I go to church, somebody says, you know, you really need to become a Christian. Yes, I'll accept Jesus. But the work of Jesus takes me from here to here. When I'm morally evil and really nasty, the work of Jesus takes me from here all the way over here. So there's this dramatic physical change in my identity. But when I'm not morally evil, I'm just right here. And all of a sudden, Jesus' work is just this much. So I begin to think to myself, i got to do more. There's got to be more that I have to do to add to Jesus because I haven't had that kind of radical physical transformation because I wasn't that morally easy. And I begin to add to it because I don't know how dead I was in my spiritual evil. Paul says, you want to hinder the drift? It begins by recognizing before Christ you were dead. You may have been good in your behavior, but you were dead. And you become aware of that, and then you realize, oh, this is what Jesus has done. He didn't just make my life better. Jesus did not need to die to improve your life. He did not need to die to provide for you financially. He did not need to die to heal your marriage. He did not need to die to give you better values. He needed to die because you were dead and needed life. And he says, you got to start by recognizing who you were beforehand and never forget that. Do not see your Christianity as a way of saying, God is here to make my life blessed. He is but if that's your starting point, you will drift. But if your starting point was, I was dead. Only Christ can bring you life. And then you never drift. He goes, you got to start with who you were. But then you get into who you are now. He says in verse 22. But now, he has reconciled you through the death of Christ in his physical body to present you holy and blameless in God's sight as you stand before him without a single fault. He goes, this is who you were, but now Jesus wants to present you. And this is a legal term, like if in your court trial, he wants to bring you before the Father, the new you. I was talking to a group of young people, and they're all developing their brand. Everybody's developing their brand. Everybody's got a brand that they're developing. I'm working on my brand, and they're using social media to develop their brand. And I thought, that's just kind of a cool concept. Our entire generation is developing a brand of themselves. It's like Jesus has a brand for you, and he's developing your brand, but your brand is his stamp on you, so he can bring you before the Father, and he describes you in this way. Look at how he describes you. Now, I'm going to read these words to you, but I want you to be gut-level honest when I read them. Holy, blameless, pure, worthy of the intimate presence of God. And many of us go, 
that's tough. That's hard. He gives you this identity. Paul says, you got to get this. This is the challenge of faith. There's a story in the New Testament of a woman who was bleeding for 12 years. And it wasn't just a physical illness. It was a spiritual malady. It was a social because she couldn't be with people. She couldn't go into the synagogue because she was considered unclean. Her condition, which never she recovered from for 12 years, made her unclean. She would not have family. She would have no social contact. She was like a leper in some ways. And anybody she came in contact with, her uncleanliness would make them unclean. And finally, she gets to the place where she has this faith. If I just touch the hem of his garment, because there's a prophecy in the Old Testament that the Messiah will come with healing in his wings. And that word wings literally means the tassels on his garment. So she's going, if the Messiah has healings in those tassels, all I need to do is touch a tassel. But the risk is she is unclean. She is unholy. She is not these words. And if she touches the Messiah... He becomes unholy and unclean. So she is not supposed to be in public. She's not supposed to touch anybody. But she fights through the crowd and she touches the hem of Jesus' garment. And many of you know the story. He stops. And he knows power has gone out of him. But he has not become unclean. He has not become unholy. Her uncleanliness didn't hit him. His holiness hit her. She became clean. She became holy. You go, how does that work? Fast forward, not that much longer, and the Son of God is on the cross. And now, he becomes unclean. And the sin of the world is put on him. And he takes on the unholiness so we can take on the holiness And Paul is telling this to the Christians in Colossae and to us because he's saying, do not ever forget that will keep you solid in Christ, that will keep you in faith, is you were dead. But because of Christ and Christ alone, nothing you could add to it, you have been made alive and holy and blameless. But the current reality of our real lives and our shortcomings The enemy uses it, and he whispers to us, (laughs) really? And our reaction is not to rebel against Jesus, but to say, i got to add something to it. Because I am not showing it, i got to add something to it. Religious practices, a life of significance, whatever it may be, i got to add something to it. So Paul says, you've got this new identity. you got to learn to live in it. The new identity is there. I was dead. I am alive. I am pure. I am blameless. The Son wants to present me to the Father. How do I walk in that so that I don't find myself drifting and trying to add stuff to it, which diminishes it? He gives us that answer in verse 23. How do you live fully in your true identity? But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift from the hope you have received when you heard the gospel. He says there's three things you got to do. You got to believe. You got to stand. You got to hope. You can't add to Jesus 
but you can act in response to what he has done. My wife and I have been married for 35 years. That's a long time. That's a long time. Actually, people ask us, they say, okay, how, what's the secret? So since it was our 35th year, we got asked that. I came up with this great line. I said, there's one thing you do. You do this one thing, and your marriage will be so successful. Every week for 35 years, my wife and I have done this one thing, and our marriage has thrived. And they go, what? what? What's the secret? What's the one thing? I said, every week, you go dancing. You go dancing every week, and your marriage will thrive. I go on Tuesdays. She goes on Thursdays. I said it like three times, and after the third time, my wife said, that's enough now, Joel. And I realized the marriage thrives when your wife says, that's enough now, that's enough now. My wife and I were married 35 years ago. Now, we have worked to walk in the identity of our marriage. We didn't get more married. We didn't add anything and say, now we're really married or we're more married. No. When you are married, you are married. It is sealed on day one. But it doesn't mean you don't do anything to see that marriage flourish. That's how it is in a relationship with Jesus. we got to do something. doesn't change the nature of it. And here's what he says. Paul in another letter would say in Philippians 2.13, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work his good pleasure. It's like there's this unique relationship. It's almost a mystery. Not 50-50, God does his part, I do my part. But there's unity. But Paul defines for us, here's what you got to do. So this is kind of a measuring rod for you. Do you believe? Do you stand? Do you hope? Because as I describe what it means to drift to use what are actually good things, but to find yourself using them in a bad way to add to Jesus as a way of proving yourself or performing or accessing what you want to access. Paul says you got to do these three things. you got to believe. you got to stand. And you have to hope. What is it you need to believe? First and foremost you got to believe you were dead. He says in Colossians 2.13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. If you know and believe, yes, that was my condition. There may be a few of you here who aren't Christians, and you're looking at me like I'm crazy. Because you're going, you're telling me I'm dead? My body works? I'm listening to you? I'm a little upset with you. I feel like I'm alive. Physically, in your soul, in your body, you may be alive, but in your spirit, you're dead. And at some point, your body and your soul will catch up to your spirit. But until you get a hold of that, you'll never need a Savior. But when you allow God's Spirit to show you, wow, I am lost without a Savior. I need life. Jesus did not come to this earth just to make your earthly life better. He came to resurrect you for eternity. That's why he went to the paralytic. Remember the paralytic who's paralyzed? The friends bring him down to the roof, and he's there paralyzed. He can't walk. And Jesus comes up to him, and the paralytic is so excited, so eager. I'm finally going to be able to walk. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And I'm sure this guy's going, Really? What I need is to walk. We can do the spiritual stuff later. 
Sometimes we don't know what we need. I imagine in this conversation, Jesus would have said, listen, you think your greatest need is to walk? Look in this house. See all these people, they all walk. You think they're all happy? You think they're all fulfilled? What you need is life. Your sins are forgiven. So you got to believe. you got to believe you are dead and you need life. Every morning you wake up and go, I am alive because of Jesus. Because before Jesus, I was dead. And all of a sudden it changes your entire perspective. You see every day with gratitude and with hope because you are alive in him. you got to get this right, Paul says. And you will not drift. Then you got to stand. Stand firm, literally, is what he says. It doesn't mean to be passive. It means to be steady. Colossians 3, 17, he puts it this way later in the letter. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. My life and my actions, my pursuit of him is going to be defined by Christ. Every day, every month, every year, I'm going to grow I'm not going to put myself in a place where I'm going, now have I arrived? No, I'm just going to grow. So I was really challenged by this. I'm getting ready for tonight. I'm reading this passage and I'm going, wow, I had made a commitment. This year in 2023, I wanted to do something to get closer to God. And so every month I was taking a spiritual discipline, fasting, Sabbath, prayer, the word, solitude, and kind of focus on it for the month. And the first month was the Sabbath. So I'm learning about the Sabbath. But I could honestly tell you, three weeks ago, I'm going, okay, here's what I got to do. I got to carve that time out, and then I got to pray, and I got to read my Bible. And very subtly, as a man who has been in ministry for 40 years, the enemy is whispering, do that, and then you'll show yourself. And I began to study the Sabbath, and I discovered that one of the major reasons why God created the Sabbath was to point us to the future. Take a day of your week and live like you're in heaven. Sabbath rest. Keep it holy. Live like you're in heaven. And the Holy Spirit said, Joel, what would you like to do on your Sabbath day in heaven? What would be the perfect day in heaven for you? And I thought to myself, you know what would be the perfect day? Me, Jesus, and my two grandsons. That's what would be the perfect day. And on my Sabbath last week, I grabbed my two grandsons, took them to the beach. And we hung out together with Jesus. We talked about Jesus. We prayed. We looked at Jesus' creation. It was the most glorious Sabbath. Before that revelation, I would have been in a little cave somewhere, reading the King James Version, chanting Gregorian chants, fasting. Because I was adding to it. He says, no, no, stand firm steadfastly. Now, for some of you in here going, whoa, 12 disciplines in a year, every month, that's a little heavy, Joel. That's cool. Maybe for you, I'm going to lead a small group. And that's going to put me in that zone where i got to stay steady. People around me, God will use that. Do something in 2023 that positions you in a relationship with Christ to stand firm in a really healthy way where you know, I'm going to grow through this and it's going to stretch me. I would tell you, come out on Wednesday nights, but you're already here, so it doesn't count. Got to come up with something else. But prayerfully say to yourself, if Paul wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the drift can happen. Here's what you need to do. You got to be steadfast. What is it you will do in 2023? 
that you didn't do in 2022 that will enable you to go, I'm steadfast, and it'll protect you from adding it on as you do it in the right heart and the right spirit in doing that. You got to believe, you got to stand, and then you got to hope. This part is so important. I understand that much of our faith is defined by our life on this earth. God's not against that. But our life on this earth, the Bible says, is just a vapor. And there's an essential part of knowing Christ and Christ alone when I have this hope in the future. Here's how we would write in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Live for another time. Live for another place. Live for another kingdom. How does the drift not happen? How do I, as a passionate follower of Christ, walk into everything he has for me? Live for that kingdom. Live for that time. How I handle my time, how I handle my money, how I handle my relationships, all in light of God's kingdom and that eternity. The drift never happened, Paul says. You believe you were dead. And define your Christianity by Jesus bringing you to life, not just him improving your life. You stand firm and make the intentional commitment. I'm going to do something in 2023 that's going to keep me with Christ and not drifting away where i got to add something. You hope together as a church, as a family. When I was at Huntington Beach, we got caught in that drift. A good friend of mine, Sam, is a young adult pastor. He surfs. If he had been there with me before we went on the water, he would have said, Joel, be careful of drift. He would have warned me as a good friend of what could happen. You will not find out about the drift on your own. That's how subtle and dangerous the enemy is. That's why Paul says, no, you got to do this together as a church. You have to have spiritual friends who you have given permission to, to say, if you see me adding something to Jesus, slap me upside the head, will you? And you protect yourself because you believe, you stand, and you hope. Would you bow your heads with me, please? I just want you to take a moment individually and personally with the Lord. Maybe like me, this kind of jars you. You go, wow, I wasn't aware. I didn't know. Paul is not speaking to the unbeliever. Tonight, I'm speaking to those of you who, like me, are Christ followers. But as the Spirit of God opens up the word to you, you realize, you know what? I've drifted a little bit. 
And instead of Christ alone, I'm taking actually good things, but I'm adding it. I'm trying to prove myself. I'm adding things to Jesus that actually then diminishes Jesus. I'm defining my identity by only this earthly life. And the gracious, gentle whisper of our loving Lord has come back. You haven't rebelled against me. You haven't rejected me. But you still need to come back where it is only Jesus. And nothing else you can do out of your own effort that will merit you the kingdom of God. I want you to take a moment right in your seat and just talk to the Lord. Thank Him for the awareness of the drift. Thank Him for the grace that He restores you. Thank Him that you were dead and He brought you to life. And tell him how much you love him. Ask him to protect you from the drift. Make a statement of faith. Christ, you are sufficient and you are supreme. You alone. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can say. There's no one I can pretend to become. You alone have given me my new life and all that comes with it. Lord Jesus, I pray for each person who is here tonight. I pray for those who are watching online. And we thank you, Lord, for jarring us, for making us aware of the drift that has happened in probably many of us We thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your gentleness that you graciously show us that you, Jesus, you are enough. You brought us to life. You give us life. I pray, Lord, by your spirit that you would give clear direction to each person here for 2023. Not to add to you, but to discover you richer. I pray for those who you are tugging to lead a small group. I pray for those who you are tugging to get back into your word and prayer in the right way. Give clear direction, Holy Spirit, and then give us the empowerment to live that out. We believe We stand, we hope, and we give you thanks that you are truly enough. It just blows us away, Lord. But we believe it and we receive it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We really hope you enjoyed the message. And if you said yes to Jesus, we just want to say congratulations and give you a free devotional to help you walk out your faith. Click the link in the description or head over to grow.faith to download your devotional. Oh, and be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Thanks for listening to ALSC Podcasts and 
and hope you tune in again. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.